If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Jane. Jane lives in Victoria with her gorgeous daughter, Isabel, who she conceived using a known donor. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Jane. I'd love to start um, understanding what you went through to decide to become a solo mum by choice. Um, well, there's a, a couple of things. Um, my dad um, mentioned about the, the Australian story lady who had um, a donor child, a single donor child, um, and then met the the donor and they fell in love and got married. So it's sort of he was he really loved that story my dad um being a farmer just he I think he liked the idea that I might meet somebody on a farm Mm -hmm. um and I I hadn't but that's okay and then um another girlfriend of mine at work um came up and said I don't know how we got into the conversation but she said she was going through um the process of retrieving her eggs and then she came back um a little while longer later because she's a little bit older than me and said that she couldn't do that. She had to go through the full uh, process. And I found out later that um, she had actually gone through that and hadn't managed to conceive with her current partner. But at the time she told me that she was single. And I really thought at that point, oh shit, if she's single and having to do this and go down this process, then it's something I really need to think about. I always knew I wanted a child. Um, I had my, my grandmother knitting beautiful baby clothes um, in my early 20s yeah. and I still have them and Isabel wore some of them um, so it was one of those things I knew I was going to have a child I just didn't know how it was going to happen and then my brother had a child when he was 23 mm-hmm. and I was heavily involved in his um, upbringing um, or, or life not upbringing but a very involved aunt um, and I knew that I didn't want to put somebody in the position that he had been in um, with his ex-partner. So I knew that it had to be either on my terms or it had to be um, in a committed relationship and a very committed relationship. It wasn't going to be a fly-by-night sort of relationship. So he wasn't in a committed relationship when he got her pregnant? Ah, uh, no. No. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um 
saying that, he has turned into um, an amazing dad and he and his son, Sonny, have an amazing relationship. Um, and Sonny is now seven, almost 17 yeah. and is an amazing, an amazing kid or an amazing young man he's turning into be. And that is what you want. Um, doesn't really matter what, in my mind, it didn't matter what family was or how it was constructed as long as there is a lot of love for that friend, that that relationship. Yeah. And I didn't want to put anybody through um, a custody arrangement that was really, really high on my list of no's. Yeah, after seeing what your brother went through, I'm sure. Yeah. And then and then the final kicker was a girlfriend of mine was in a same sex relationship and obviously used donor sperm, um, went to Queensland and did it. And I went, well, if she can do it and she can cope with being a parent, um, especially after the relationship broke down quite quickly, I went, I can do this. I can be, I can be a single parent. I'm I'm better than one, two, three, about half a dozen people that I could name off the top of my hand. <laughs> And it wasn't better. It was just I, I didn't like their parenting style. So that was, I, and I there was stuff. It, the, there was a belief in me that I could be a more consistent parent than what I was seeing. I went, and if they're coping, I can cope. Yeah. So I finally had bought a house, and once the house was bought, it was an easy decision to start the the process. And what age were you when you sort of started that? I was um, 38 when I bit, bit the bullet and had the first appointments. Right. So you kind of got all your ducks in a row beforehand and then all these signs, you're like, yeah. right, right, it's time to do it. This is this is the way it's going to be for me. <laughs> um, so I bit the bullet and made an appointment with a fertility specialist and he put me straight through to um IVF given my age I can't remember what my AMH reserves were but he said oh they're a little bit on the low side but they're fine Mm -hmm. so I went okay whatever whatever roll on (laughs) um so I um started down that process and I took my time with it you know I had to save some money and I had to um you know feel comfortable and in my mind it was going to happen instantly so I was going to fall pregnant at this date and then I was going to have the baby in um around September and that fitted in with some other stuff that I was doing in the background and very convenient yes it was going to happen it didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) it just didn't happen so the first round of IVF I got uh two eggs I think and we popped one in and it didn't stick, but not even close to sticking. And the other didn't um, didn't grow in the in the dish. Mm-hmm. So there was that second round. I we changed up changed the drugs up, and I wasn't getting um, a massive amount of eggs, obviously. So we changed up my meds and did a few other bits and pieces. And I was doing um, acupuncture at the same time, and I got nothing. And I was devastated. I got absolutely no eggs. I was like, oh, well, nice. that's. Um, and it then, so then um, the third round um, and my mum and my stepdad contributed. So they now have a stake in my house. Not a big one, but they have a stake in my house. Yeah. <laughs> so they contributed because um, I just didn't have the reserves. And I got um, two eggs and I ended up with a chemical pregnancy. 
and got told at work that it wasn't going to stick and I knew it just it wasn't the numbers were so low and I was at left work early in tears cracked the shits bought a mini convertible <laughs> sold my very practical x-trail I, I was just that's it this was right before my 40th birthday I went that's it done not this isn't going to work for me I need I I need some time to after that roller coaster of egg retrievals and then popping them in and not sticking it's soul destroying were you doing three back to back as well or did you have gaps in between no there was gaps but it was it's still soul destroying when it just doesn't work and add to that all of the hormones and everything else that you're on that just make it even harder yeah it's really tough yeah it's so shit (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah it's bought my mini convertible which i still miss sold my um very practical x-trail that i'd inherited from my dad I went, right, that's it. I'm just going to give give it some time. And um, this will happen one way or another. Um, obviously, pre-COVID, if I have to go overseas and do overseas or if I have to, I've got a, a girlfriend who is very fertile and had just had twins and, you know, I got her in a weak moment. She said she'd donate her eggs. Yeah. Um, bless her. You know, I had, it's like, I'm just give me some time or I'll foster Um and then I'm gonna find a way um, I was gonna find a way I just wasn't I just needed time to find that way and I remember having the conversation with mum who initially had been pretty nervous about me going down this road of being a single parent she knows how it's hard um and she but when I came to everything sorted out she's like okay well this is happening whether I like it or not and she's well and truly on now but she took a little bit to warm up to it um and at that point she goes right you need a break you mentally you're just done and she could see it in me so took a break and at the same time a girlfriend a beautiful girlfriend of mine her her father was in hospital and she's got two siblings a sister and a brother and the sister uh brought in an article still remember she sent a screenshot of it to me about how women in their 40s were going out and having one night stands Mm. and I'm at work texting away because you know why not saying no I can't do that I have real moral objections to that it's you know there's so much history but I just wouldn't put somebody in that position and then she messages back oh Bryce will donate I'm like what she goes the Bryce will donate hang on a minute we weren't discussing this (laughs) um anyway her brother said he'd had a a failed relationship and they'd done IVF um and he'd been tested so he had all of his um DNA testing and all you know all the bits and pieces that um that side has to do and it turns out he had an incredibly high sperm count Mm -hmm. ripper I mean what at this point got my convertible don't care I'm going we'll give it a go so so she was volunteering his sperm but he did actually agree to it he did agree we did have it we did sit down and have a discussion we funnily enough we didn't actually discuss what parenting would look like until after but we're texting away and he goes oh no I just want to be loosely involved uncle I'm not he sort of initially he saw it as a DNA experiment but god he loves her um but he doesn't want to parent he doesn't seek out that opportunity um which I'll get to but it's I'm very very fortunate but getting to that 
we sort of did a couple of trials. So the first one, I'm in the city because I work in the city and, and having drinks and she messages me and we sort of roughly knew my timing, my, my ovulation timing, but I wasn't really tracking it. Um, and she rings me and goes, so I'm dropping a, I'm dropping a parcel off at, at your house tonight. Are you going to be home? And I'm like, no, I've had a couple of whiskeys. I'll be a little while. Um, she goes, oh, well, I'll just leave it in the letterbox. So she had a basketball game with her daughter and another single dad and his daughter. And they stopped. The, the basketball game was near um, where Bryce was living at the time. And they picked, so he did the deed, popped it into a little cup. They bought it home, dropped it in my letterbox. I got home a little bit worse for wear, popped it in. And it's, look, given all of that, no surprise, it didn't work. Yeah. That's fine. Tick. We knew that we could make the timing work. <laughs> I'm just Round two. My in... cup out of my litter box. Right. Good. <laughs> yep. Yep. Round two. Um, Min was in Bali, so her sister very kindly, um, and Bryce came down to visit his parents. So he, she picked up the cup, and we met in a cafe. And she handed me a bag with this tiny sterile cup in it. <laughs> We're sitting in the cafe having a coffee and talking about. <laughs> Timing was good. Um, sperm were out of out of body too long, I think. Yeah. I mean, okay. okay. It's been That's too fine. long drinking we, your coffee, obviously. Yeah, pretty much. And we did a second round, but there was a too much of a gap in between. So that's fine. We knew that we could, again, make this work. So Min's back for the third round, and I had a week off that week and having lunch with a girlfriend, and she rings me and goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I just didn't want you to having lunch. She goes, okay, well, you've got to come and pick up a deposit. I rock up at her place and she's got a great big island bench and in the middle of the island bench, which is clear, she doesn't have clutter, in it is oh, sitting on the bench is a little sperm cup, no, a little, you know, specimen cup and we're sitting with the four of us because another girl was, friend was over. We're all talking and we started talking politics and South African issues because one of the girls was from South Africa and the funniest conversation. And said to my friend I was having lunch with because I'd been over to Hastings to pick her up and said, right, we've got to go home. I really can't leave this out any longer. Um, let, let's whip home to my house. I'll make you a cup of tea and I'll put this pot this in and you can sit out and have a cup of tea and talk to the dogs and we'll go from there. Well, lo and behold, the bloody thing stuck, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You're sitting yeah. on the bench as you talk around it and then... <laughs> yeah. So it stuck, but I had a missed miscarriage, which, you know, given the whole situation at that point, we go, right, we better get a bit serious about this. So I changed my doctor and um, there's an obstetrician down in Mornington, um, which I'm going to plug because he is amazing, um, Dr. Andrew Griffiths out of the Bayes Hospital. Um, he himself has had quite a journey um, to having a child with his partner. So when I went with the miscarriage and checking out and told him what we're doing, he was so on board. So he redid all my bloods. He um, did a couple of other tests based on his experience um, that may have affected the mis miscarriage or caused the mis miscarriage. And he immediately put me on um, aspirin metformin because I've got a bit of extra weight so he wanted me to lose some weight um clomid for my next ovulation 
to yeah. increase my ovulation. Um, melatonin, because that's supposed to help fertility as well. And made sure I was taking my prenatal vitamins. And then we, so we were doing appointments quite regularly up to the next transfer. And we actually timed it a bit better. The sperm were out for no more than an hour. Um, we managed to do two transfers over my ovulation period and it stuck. And I now have Isabel. Wow. Um, and funnily enough, I double, double ovulated and I'm quite thankful I don't have twins because. <laughs> double ovulated. <yeah. laughs> probably meant the comment would have. Uh... The climate. Um, and as soon as I um, was pregnant, he changed me onto Clexane. So my bloods found that I have antiphospholipid syndrome antibodies. And he can't diagnose me with the syndrome because he didn't want me to have another miscarriage so he did all the preventative steps so i didn't have to do go through that roller coaster again what an amazing which means strangely enough covid i can't have astrazeneca but and i wouldn't have known that except for this Hmm. but yeah there you go so now i have isabel (laughs) wow so no one donor at home and then with support from the OB to give you the best chance possible to conceive and it yeah. all just aligned perfectly. And I'm sure you learned yeah. she was a lot of really random information about sperm as a result. <laughs> yeah, so I use um, use the, so we were tracking my, my cycle and I'm, I've always been quite regular. So there was a tick. Um, there's a little magnifying glass thing called maybe baby. And when you ovulate, your saliva feathers, it goes like a feather. And when you're not ovulating, it just looks like dots. Um, So I was using that to know, and it was cheaper than the sticks. And I, it worked really well for me because I could see it building. I could see the, um, the way my saliva was changing. Um, And I also used that to make sure that the, the donation that, um from him I got a little droplet and put it on and it was enough I mean the magnifying is pretty pretty appalling but it was just enough to see that you could see the little wigglers oh wow so which was yeah so one of those wasn't her obviously um and the other thing that I did once I put the um transfer in I used just like a diva cup but there's other cups that you can use that are specially designed to hold that deposit in um, but once I popped it in with a syringe and just a 10 mil syringe, absolutely fine. But once I pop that in and put the diva cup in, um, and you know, lay on my back for a little while, given, you know, I want to give this a red hot go. You just stick your legs up the wall or something, help gravity. Yeah, I was on a pillow and sitting there in yoga pose going, yeah, we'll see how we go. Reading my book on my phone. We're all good. <laughs> um, but I left that diva cup in for, um, I think 12 hours or something like that whatever was suggested on one of the websites um and yeah lo and behold it stuck text texted um you know i i actually stopped tracking you know when my cycle was due i just sort of got to the point where no we'll just relax mm-hmm. and see what happens um and then i went one day I went, i'm late i think i'm late and i'm looking at my my app going oh, i'm a couple of days late 
okay. So I did the test and I texted me and my friend and said, um, so I think it worked. <laughs> and I think this was the, the my first full period after the miscarriage. So I think my body knew, we knew that my body could um, create a baby. Um, and that was, for me, the miscarriage was actually a really big hopeful sign. Um, as, as awful it is, as it is, but it was, it gave me hope that this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and that I just needed a bit of hope. And that's what Andy said. He said, we'll get you pregnant. Don't worry about it. You just need some help and it might take a little while, but we, we will get you pregnant. And that helped as well. It's fantastic that you found him. Wonderful. Did he look after you through your pregnancy as well? And how was that? So he's the funniest man I've ever met he's so lovely um he because he knew how anxious I was and he'd been down that path um with his own partner or wife he tested me every week from six weeks up to 13 weeks fortnightly up to 20 weeks and just you know a quick ultrasound um to make sure that everything was growing and that was still a heartbeat um he said, he said when he, his wife was pregnant that he had to take home the portable ultrasound machine pretty much every night. And every time they had a fight or an argument or anything, she'd make him check that the heartbeat was still going because they'd had such a rocky road. So he knew what that rocky road is. Um, and I know from a couple of other friends that he's helped them to get pregnant as well. Um, he's delivered half the babies on the peninsula. I think someone said to him, because I had to have a, a, a C-section because she was breached. One of the nurses said to him, so how many is this? And he goes, oh, about 2,000. And he goes, but this one's special. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, she is. That, all babies are special. But these ones that we have a journey to get um, that aren't just, that, that don't just appear, these ones that are really hard to get, they, they are special. They want to be here. They want to be in this world. And I hope that all of them make a difference in this world because they want to be here. So there you go. Now I have a child. <laughs> and you had to have a Caesar because she was great. Was the rest of the pregnancy, apart from the anxiety, pretty good? No dramas? Um, yeah, no, it was actually pretty. I was. I had mild morning sickness. Um, I'd have days where I just didn't eat. Um, but the next day I'd be fine. So it was sort of intermittent. So I was pretty fortunate in that respect. I'd had mornings where I just didn't feel like eating. Um, I sort of vomited, coughed or vomited every morning for the last six months, but it wasn't really morning sickness. It was just, I think, my body getting used to having something in it that wasn't expecting to be in it. Yeah. It was odd, but as soon as I had had her, it stopped. So, But it didn't stop me eating. I just had to wait until I'd had my little cleared out my stomach from the the night's juices so to speak and start afresh <laughs> <laughs> um but yes all in all it was actually except for being on Clexane and having a donut of bruises around my belly button which was incredibly you know you had to find a new spot and if you haven't used Clexane before if you hit a bruise it's like it sort of creates a ball of a bruise and if you hit a bruise it really, really hurts. Oh. I'd have to, I'd stab it and go, right, well, not that spot. We'll just find another spot. And just, I moved around my belly button. Yeah. 
Were you on that the whole time? For, for nine months. For the whole nine months. Uh, pretty much the nine months. We stopped a couple of weeks before my um, C-section so that knowing that because she just wasn't turning. Once she got into, so her head sat under my left rib and once she was in there, she was, she just decided that's it. Now I'm not particularly tall and while I'm carrying a bit of extra weight, I think it was just, she got stuck in there and she wasn't big, but she's got in a comfy position and went, that's it, I'm not moving. Okay. And this is, I went to the chiropractor and we did, and I did hanging upside down and we did releasing tendons and no, she was stubborn yeah. and she's come out stubborn. <laughs> And did you go full term with her or was it early because of your age? I was I was 38.5, which is close enough. I'd had I'd it was enough I it was enough that I hadn't got sick of being pregnant. I could have gone longer. Yeah. Um, but he didn't given that she was breached, he didn't want to risk me going into labour. He said that if she had have turned, and we agreed if she had have turned, he would have let me go into labour, probably induced, but would have let me go into labour and um, with the backup plan that if there was any sign of distress for me or her, he would go straight in for a C-section. His biggest belief is that the big, the most important thing for anybody is to have a healthy child, a well and healthy child. He has very big beliefs on doulas and I can't tell you how many appointments I got told not to have a doula and not to have a birth plan because they are the experts and I and I agree with him. Um, they're the experts. They're there to see you through. I think that um, a girlfriend of mine had a horrendous first birth and for her a doula would have been really beneficial. But given that I'd had him um, and continuous care, I felt really safe um, and I'd for, for me that, that was, I just didn't need anything more. Um, and I'm also, I think being that little bit older, I've got a pretty strong voice and I was willing to advocate for what I wanted. Um, but I also have a, an, an understanding of nursing um, and go, well, they're not here to do me harm. I might not want to have the drugs, but they're going to advocate for the health of me and the child. And it all worked out because you've got your beautiful Sorry. little girl now. I do. <laughs> so how did you find the, the first few weeks at home with her? Um, I went to went and stayed at my mum's for a couple okay. of weeks, which was, um, we had our ups and downs. <laughs> it's, you know, it's going home to your mum and learning to be, um, learning to be a parent in someone else's house. Um, and my mum and I, we, we do get along, but we're quite different and I'm quite messy and she's very, very tidy. Um, and I was in pain. C-sections hurt. They don't tell you how much they hurt. They hurt. Massive abdominal surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And you're home within, okay, I had a couple of extra days because I was private hospital, but you're home and you're lifting a child and you're breastfeeding and it hurts. Why did no one tell me bloody nursing mothers association they got me watching a video and it said that um it said oh breastfeeding should be completely painless 
And I'm sitting in the hospital in absolute tears going, it's not painless, it hurts. Why is it hurting so much? They say it should be painless. And it wasn't, it was horrendous. But once my milk came in properly and I got comfortable with it and she cluster fed and she was so little, so we were on three hourly feeds. She was only two and a half kilos. So we're on three hourly feeds. She was little. Well, I'm only short. And the doc and Andy said if you if a Shetland has a Shetland, you're gonna have another Shetland. So we have a Shetland. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, she 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 was slow to feed because she was little. Um and I got engorged on one side, which was I've that hurts like hell. It's like a great big football. Um, but once I got all of that under control, it is. It does become painless um, to a degree. You still know it's there, but it's not painful. Not like those first couple of weeks. Um, and trying to do that with abdominal surgery and get off a low couch, and it was there was moments where it was just hard. Um, and I love mum and I love her support and she would bring me a coffee every morning um, as I'm there and feeding so all of that really really helped but I I was glad to get home and prove to myself that I could do it on my own I figured for for me I felt I had to I had to be able to do it on my own because that's what I've got and and I'm (laughs) Yeah. yeah I'm incredibly fortunate that I have a lot of support. So um, my mum and stepdad have Isabel once a week now. They were having her twice a week and through COVID they were having three times, um, particularly because of um, being in lockdown. And Min um, works at markets, so she wasn't, she was out and about. And my when we didn't know as much about COVID, um, I was really worried about my stepdad's health more than anything. So they had her through that last really big lockdown three days a week while she was a bit littler. Um, But for the most part, she's gone to both Min, so Auntie Min. She sees her cousins on that side who just accept her as one of the family, um, a a cousin. And she, if I do because Min works at markets, if I work for her on a weekend, which I do occasionally, she'll go to her donor grandparents on that weekend, which we just call Nan and Grandad. Um, Bryce will call in or not on those days that they all have her or sometimes Min takes her over or on occasion I've taken her over to see him as well. So she's obviously a little bit young, so you're probably not having conversations with her really about it, but how are you going to broach that? Sort of. We, I've started the conversation because she knows him. She knows that his daddy, we call him Daddy Donut or Donut. Um, she, know, she knows that he's a dad, but not what a dad is, I think. Um, Min has a divorce or split up from her husband quite a while so she doesn't have that male figure to compare to in when she goes to that house she really only has grandparental or grandparent figures Mm. um or her cousins or my brother is sort of on the scene as well but she doesn't have an image of what a father is um she doesn't have a lot of that stereotypical families around her yeah no, and I think that's probably been to my benefit. So we've introduced um, 
the P that was me mm -hmm. um, as one of our books at home with and, and started talking about how her story is. So Dr. Andy is in her story and Donut is in her story. And so it's definitely something that we've talked about. Um, my mum is an ex-teacher and is very good at telling um, Isabel's story on how she wanted to be mm -hmm. born and how she was looked at in mum looked at her in the ultrasound and just knew that she was Isabel Victoria um so there's that so we've started talking about that and it's not hidden and I've talked about you know oh see that family they don't have a daddy or or they're like you they they have um they have just a mum um and we've been to a few of the single mum catch-ups or camping weekends mm -hmm. and that conversation oh yeah that family has a dad and that's what and he plays with with them and bluey bloody bluey mm -hmm. <laughs> which I do love but it gives um an image of a, a more nuclear family so we've she's got a sort of picture but they're dogs so it's not quite the same so we I I talk about it just in normal terms yeah. that this is this is the way that we are and yes your your daddy donut he loves you very very much but he isn't able to be a parent that wasn't something that he felt he could do but he um he saw how much I wanted a child and he gave me a very very big gift that I'm forever grateful for and that's the the a lot of the terminology that we use and so did you have to do anything with the birth certificate or anything like that we left him yeah. off yeah. so yeah um for a lot of reasons it's I didn't because he's a known donor um even before I'd sorted out the birth certificate I was starting to battle with Centrelink mm -hmm. um because I stupidly opened my mouth mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah it's a known donor and then they put that in their files and then you yeah that was fun right. That was hours and hours of phone calls going, yeah, he's a known donor. He's still a donor. So I ended up um, having to go through requesting for child support and I just didn't give his details. I just said, yes, I know his name. Yes, I know his surname, but I don't have his contact information. It was all done through a third party and I don't have to give you a third party's details because she's not part of yeah. this. Um, and really stood my ground on that um that went back to Centrelink and I had a social worker who looking over the file who just kept arguing with me I ended up driving down to Rosebud so that I ended up in a different catchment zone so I got a different social worker walking in and this is right before COVID it was probably one of the last few weeks before we couldn't go into Centrelink and I got a really great well, the first time I didn't get anybody who was useful, so I made a time and went down and ne the next time, left Isabel with mum, said, I'm going to be hours, have child, um, and sat there and we worked through it and she re-looked at the legislation. She goes, well, he's a known donor. It's a donation. It's an IVF. Well, it's not IVF, but it's IUI and this is covered under this. I'll code it as such. And once you coded um, accordingly, you're safe forevermore. But it was tr tricky having had that conversation that she was a known donor. So when it came to her birth certificate, which I was organising at the same time, Bryce had originally said that he'd like to be on her birth certificate. Um, and once I was having all this trouble to protect him, I explained 
why I was leaving him off and that we would add him when she's 18. And I have a letter with birth, deaths and marriages from him saying that he is a stat deck, saying that he's a donor. Um, so they do have his details. Um, and her story is not hidden. She is in contact with that side of her family. So it's not, he's just off to protect him from being charged money by Centrelink. And I guess the big thing for anyone listening to it, looking at it in the same journey is the fact that it was, you know, a donation and a cup with a syringe. You didn't, it wasn't natural. We didn't, we didn't sleep together. We weren't even in the same house when it happened. There's little things like that um, that are important, aren't they? Because they could come up later. The more are. you can do to make yeah. it as and I, as possible. Having, having that documented, um, um, originally I had all the text messages from men, um, but she must have changed her number or something and all, they all went. And I wish I'd kept them because that would have made life easier. But I did have emails um, to him saying, we need to talk about this donation. this, um, And then I could, so I could prove that to birth, deaths and, ma- births, deaths and marriages. Um, I had a step deck or a letter from my doctor. So Andy wrote a, Dr. Andy wrote a letter um, advising that he was aware that this was a donor conception. Um, he didn't mention that he didn't do it. He just said it, he, it was a donor conception. Um, I had messages from Min and from Bryce that I had to send through to births, births deaths and marriages. Um, and I had the intent, um, Bryce and I had the intent, so we'd sat down and had a conversation and we'd Loosely, I meant to put it into a formal document. Um, but at the same time as all that happened, <laughs> there was the um, woman who'd been who conceived with a donor um, and the, the donor had been heavily involved in the child's life. And then she wanted to move to New Zealand and couldn't. And the outcome of that really appeared to me that it is the intent and it's how you set up the relationship. Um, and I knew that Bryce wasn't someone who wanted to be heavily involved. And if he had have, then we would have dealt with that. Um, and I have no problem with him being involved. So, and I have no intentions of moving to New Zealand. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but we did have that discussion. If that was to happen, um, then we would discuss that and we would work out a way around it. Should that happen down the track? So we had all of that discussed. We did document it, but we had it discussed. So that was our intent. And I trust him to which naively or not and I I trust him but I also more so trust his sister that she wouldn't set this up or allow it to progress as far as it did um, if she thought he was someone who was going to turn around and change his mind um, and I'm not I because I'm so family orientated orientated, it would take me a lot to move away from our family group. And our family group are within three suburbs. So Frankston, Mornington and Martha. So it'd take a lot for me to move away from that um and, and leave that family group and and remove her from, from what is important, which to me is family. So it'd take a, a really big lot to do that. That was a long way to answer your question. <laughs> So I guess with everything that you've gone through to conceive her, is there any advice that you would give to someone who is considering the the known donor route or things that you wish you'd done differently now you know what you know? Um, Start early. So if you're thinking of um, 
using going if you're thinking of being a single parent start early um i wish i'd known how much of an impact age has on your egg reserves i wish i had known um what that actually meant when he said that you've got a low amh that would have been helpful <laughs> I, mean, I mean i'm sure dr google could have told me but i went oh no that's fine i, I know this sort of stuff i mean when he said I've got, you know, really good antibodies to chickenpox rubella and something else, I went, oh, I know what that means. I should have done more Googling or asked more questions. We um, often just, we just trust them because we're the experts though, don't we? You can go down such a yeah, rabbit hole if you do start Googling as well. So it's the balance. <laughs> well, this this is very true, but I wish I understood what that, what that actually meant. Um, and then in terms of a known donor, um, if you don't know the person or have intend on, if you don't intend on having a ongoing relationship of some sort with that person, then you make sure you draw it up and you have that written long before I did. Um, I was a bit blasé and went, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to fall pregnant. And then lo and behold, I did. So yes, there is um, documents out there on the interweb, on the internet that will give you a guideline of what to to write um there's lawyers out there who will support you to set up a proper donor agreement um i was just fortunate that i trust this friend um so much and i trust the intent of her and her family um but yes if you don't have that relationship and it's not someone that you want an ongoing relationship then you need to set it up so that you are you protect yourself and you protect your child yeah good advice there um on the other thing is to when you do have that child to buy multiples of those of whatever comforter teddy <laughs> that you're going to give them yeah. i think i've got 20 odd pigs from my kia um because they lose them <laughs> And there is nothing worse than a screaming child or getting home from childcare and you go, I can't find where the pig is or hers is a pig. Um, where the pig is, I'll just go. And there's nothing better than going, I'll just go and get another one. And she just takes it. Yeah. <laughs> so I have multiple toys. But, yeah, in terms of um, falling pregnant and, and finding, I don't know how to, I can't advise on finding a donor. I was just very, very lucky. She was just meant to be but in terms of starting the process if it's a known donor just make sure you trust them yeah good advice and so isabella's what two and three quarters now and three quarters birthday in september september 5 um we haven't managed to have a birthday party yet so oh, fingers crossed for this yeah, year yeah. <laughs> um and it's more to say thank you to her village of people her family um as i said earlier i've got lots of support so her her donor grandparents have um put her into the will she's just another grown child they don't differentiate um and something that i am so thankful for they didn't have to do that it was never an expectation i don't want money from them or anything like that um but when she goes to nan's house nan will often buy her you know clothes or clips or she's just another grandchild and that's something that is very very special and very unusual in a donor situation probably something you didn't expect um, going into it either i would imagine no i didn't i i wanted them to know her but i didn't expect their level of involvement um 
another another guy friend of mine did offer and when I said oh that's great let's let's do it thinking that I trusted him and I do trust him but I said but you know I I would never if we fall pregnant I would never restrict your parents or your mum from from knowing her and he went oh no no, we're not telling mum I went okay that's it I can't that this isn't happening then I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything from her, but I do want that opportunity for for the child at that point to know their family. Um, I don't expect you to be a parent, but I'd like you to see her and for her to know you. And that the same goes for her grandparents on your side. If they want to know her, then I want her to have that opportunity. I'm not going to hide her or the child. And that was it. We End of conversation, didn't go any further. I guess that's some good advice in itself is to be really clear if you are going with a known donor because there are other relationships that can come as a result of that of how you want to manage that and what involvement you want with that because you have to be the one that guides all of that and then finding a donor that would align with what you're looking for as well. It sounds like. And that's hard. I mean, I thought this this guy was someone who who would. He's, you know, but our... Our vision of what the relationship would be were, were very different. Um, I'd say a lot of guys would be um, would just be thinking, all I'm doing is giving you my sperm and not really think about the child that results from it. No, there's DNA involved and the, that child's going to want to know whether it's now or later. They're going to want to know that family. Um, and I think that's where um, the law has come a long way in, in making um, it available for children to find their donors um, and I think it makes a difference having you know it's there there's things that Isabel does that are just not me like I'm a reasonably calm person I'm tend to the side of passive sometimes passive aggressive she's not she's got my mum and her auntie Min's side where they and I'm not sure about Bryce but I think is aligned when they get tired, they go faster. I get tired, I fall in a heap and get a headache. She just keeps going and her feet go like 90 miles an hour. I don't have that. So I know it's not from me directly. It's something in her genetics that gives her that. And that's not, it's not a nurture thing. Um, so that that little thing, there's lots of little things that are going that are that story and they're going to want to know that they might not but most children are going to want to know that down the track at some point and I think for me I was always okay with that whether it was a an um an anonymous donor or a known donor the ones that I looked at as anonymous were ones that you're gonna laugh at this bit they didn't have a receding chin and I made the (laughs) the donor lady check the (laughs) I made her check their driver's license to because we don't get a picture in Victoria, but I made them check their driver's license because I was paranoid about a receding chin. Um, but also that they were open, <laughs> that there's a reason for it. Um, there is that um, it, they would be open to contact of some form down the track. It didn't have to be a relationship, but they needed to be open to having a conversation with whatever child resulted about where they came from. It was really important to me. Um, but the receding chin thing was because I watched an insight show years ago. And the lovely guy, 
and he donated, I don't know, 10 times or whatever it was, but he had a receding chin. And I just, you don't get a picture of them. And I was paranoid that whatever donor I used was going to have a receding chin. So almost three years in, is it what you imagined it would be? Um, yes. Some days are harder than what I thought. I, they're so rewarding. And that, that little body giving you a cuddle, um, and she's in my bed tonight because she was just unsettled. And But I know when I'm up into bed, she's just going to roll over and, and snuggle in. And having that, that is all that I wanted and more. The The screaming match that we had to get to that because I put a magnesium into her milk. She didn't want the magnesium in her milk. She wanted her, her vitamin lollies. That wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> And I was tired. I, it's, <laughs> it's end of financial year at the moment for work. I'm exhausted. I just needed five minutes peace before before I did this, but I just needed five minutes peace. Yes. And you don't have anyone to swap out with. So on those nights, having her in my bed, that's really nice because <laughs> she's asleep. Um, I don't sleep as well when she's in my bed. So we generally battle about her sleeping in her bed, but... There's some nights where you just go, my envision is this. My envision for Isabel is that she will be a person who is kind, who is aware of others. Um, so that's the kindness, but aware of others and aware of her impact on others and not just people, but her world around her. Um, and that she's strong enough to, to stand up to that world um, and to advocate for what she wants. Um, in a way that isn't aggressive but gets what she wants in life. I want her to be successful, but success isn't making millions of dollars. Success is finding a contentment in her life. Um, I don't believe that we are always 100% happy, but I do believe in being content and finding that you can have ups and downs, but finding an underlying contentment of where you're at, whatever that might be. If you want to live in a yurt <laughs> and run around barefoot and travel Australia or the world, go for it. If that's what is making you content and finding joy um, with the up, all the ups and downs that life brings. If you want to be a high flyer and a CEO of a multi, of a, you know, massive big company, go for it as long as that is what is bringing you contentment and you can look at your life and go, my life was good. It's what I wanted out of it. And I want her to, to be brave enough to, to seek that out. Um, so everything I do, whether it be sleeping in her own bed or sleeping in, you know, toilet training, which she doesn't want to do, or eating a, a wholesome dinner is with an end vision. And so I want her to sleep in her own bed because I sleep better when I sleep in on my own. But some nights that doesn't happen. I want her to eat meat and three veggies or whatever I put in front of her. But she doesn't. So I aim for balance over a day and I make sure that I've made a list of the key nutrients and where to get them in foods that she likes. And I make sure she eats those um, throughout a day or throughout the week, depending on um, what they are. My end vision, I'm not at my end vision, but I have where I want to get to. I want her to be a foodie because I love food. But 
I'm not there yet. I've just got a way to go. So everything I do is leading towards that. Sounds like a pretty amazing end vision as well. She's going to be pretty spectacular. Well, hopefully, hopefully, because you, you know, you don't get to control them. You only get to influence them for a certain period of time. Um, And you only get to give them these messages for a certain period of time. And then they stop listening to you for a while and then they might come back um, (laughs) or or they they may not. But it's important to build that friendship. Yes, you have to parent and you are not their friend. You're not a friend to a toddler. Um, But you can be, you can have aspects of being their friend and play with them. But you're building the friendship for the for your future. You still have to tell them to go to bed, and but you get to hold them when they're screaming and give them, <laughs> and, and give them cuddles. And but yes, that's for me having that in picture um, is key. It's not, you know, heaven. Who knows what she's going to be because she is um, stubborn and she knows what she wants and. Um, we do a lot of compromise. Like tonight, she's gone to bed in pajamas and a tutu. Oh, I love her because she loves dressing. So it's a glittery tutu, but that's fine. She's gone to bed. She's dressed. She's warm. Um, last night, she went to bed in what she wore to kinder or school, a uh, play, you know, early childhood um, school because I didn't feel that it was important to have the battle to put on pajamas. She was warm. She was dressed. She had a clean nappy on. Is that what I want every night? No. But what's more important is her going to sleep and and happy going to sleep, or is it more important that she is um, in pajamas? In and it was less important that less important for pajamas. She she was asleep. She slept till four o'clock in the morning and then came in. It gets cold. That's fine. It's having an end vision. Wow, it's a pretty inspiring envision that you've got. And I know a lot of people who have listened to this um, tonight will be, I think, the same as I am, just feeling really excited about the future that you've got with her and just so glad that you've got that known donor and have made that future come true for you. So thank you so much for sharing. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.